Well, we've been in this series together uh, for several weeks now. We're wrapping it up today. It's a series on community, and uh, we've been calling it This Is Us, and it's been kind of a tangible look at our own relationships here in this house. And uh, today I've got one more message for this series. You can turn to uh, in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 to 47, if you want to find the scriptures for that. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I'm just curious, who has found this series to be helpful at all? Just put up your hand. Awesome. Lots of you. And I hope that today's message will, will take it home and, uh, and take it further for all of us. We want to get really good at this thing called community, right? We're going to get it right, we're getting it right, and we'll keep it right. It's something that's so essential for us as the people of God. And uh, we're going to look at a key passage here in a moment. I don't know what's going on there. Okay, I fixed it. Good. It was loose. And uh, this passage here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, is monumental in its description of what God's view of community is all about. If you want to understand what the living God thinks about his church and how it should be a people who are together with one focus, you just got to see that in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read these verses for us. They're so incredible and so amazing, and the words will be on the screen as well. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And note this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How would you like to be part of that kind of church? Put your hand up if you say, that's me. I want to be, I want to be part of that kind of church. Well, what if we became that kind of church? What if today was one more step forward into that real reality of being a kingdom of heaven community here on earth that looks just like that? That's the will of God for us. And you know, it's amazing how this group of people in Acts chapter 2 became the incubation chamber to change the world. And I believe it's, a, it's an important part of understanding what God wants to do in our times to focus on passages like this showing us this is what it will take, this is what it will be like if you want to be people who are a kingdom community. So we're going to look at this fairly deeply here, and I want to throw out to you the word culture today, because I want us to look at this passage through the lens of culture, not the broader surrounding culture, but the culture of the church. What is it all about? What happens inside of it? What kind of things happen in, in the church that Jesus is building? What kind of culture do they reflect? And we could think about culture as the beliefs, the values, the traditions, uh, the things that we do to give meaning in our lives, and all of that is true for us as the church also. So I'm going to use the word culture here. And here's the question for us. What kind of culture do we need to embrace so that we can fully become a kingdom community? We're going to look into the book of Acts here, and we're going to try to unpack what this means and apply it to our own lives today, and I think it begins with this. We will need to be a culture of commitment. 
That's a good word, isn't it? Is that a positive word for you? Culture of commitment. And I, I see that all over this early church in Acts chapter 2. Radical, strong, consistent commitment. And if we're going to be the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be in this world, we've got to be a people who rise up to the challenge and say, we will be committed to the thing that God is doing. And it's true that you only get from community what you put into community. It's kind of a sowing and reaping thing. I will only receive from community what I invest into the community. God has built that in a way so that it's reciprocal. And he's just waiting for us to take it all to the next level. I think the early church took it to the next level. They were super committed people. Just go back one verse to verse 41 in Acts 2, and it tells you the context there. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. That's a lot of increase on one event, right? That's, that's just an outstanding testimony of God's amazing salvation and grace at work in that city. And this happened after Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost. People heard the gospel, responded to it, they got baptized, and 3,000 people joined the church that day. And then what does it say about them in verse 42? They were devoted to. Who was devoted to? The 3,000. The brand new believers. The new followers of Jesus. They were devoted to the thing that God was doing. Now that word devoted is a very interesting word. I looked it up in the original language, and uh, it's the word proskartereo, and it means this, to continue to do something with intense effort, despite difficulty, to devote oneself, to keep on, to persist in, and to show prevailing strength. Proskartereo. Now, when I go to the gym and I do my light workout, <laughs> you know, and I'm there and I, I do my 11 minutes around the track... And then I do my really light T-bars, and you know, I do enough to say that I'm doing something, and hopefully put a little bit of tone into this body, keep it going. You know, I, I'm always amazed when I see those big bulked up guys beside me. You know what I mean? Those dudes, that just like, they're just like beef on a stick, right? And they're laying down, I saw this one guy, and he's pushing, I think it's 300 pounds, you know, he's like, and he's going like that, and he had a spotter behind him. And so he's like, seven, you know, and the, the other guy's counting, eight, and he's got two more to go to make ten. He's going, rrr, rrr, and he does it. You know what he just did? Pros car terao, prevailing strength. That's exactly the meaning behind what is going on here in the book of Acts, that the people were deeply committed to seeing through this thing that God had started. They're like, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to miss out on anything that God is doing. Pros Car terao. I will push. I will. I will give all my energy. I will strive. I will invest everything I've got because I don't want to miss out on the movement of God in my day. Wow. And, and so when you look at the Book of Acts, you realize well they were committed to some things. It tells us in Acts two they were they were committed or devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Actually, it's literally the prayers. Four essential things. And I think if you bumped into any of those new believers in Jerusalem back then, and you said, hey, I think I've seen you around. Are you part of that new movement, that Jesus thing? Uh, you'd say, yeah. And they'd say, you know, well, what, what are you all about? What do you call yourselves? And you'd say, well, we don't really have a name right now. Some of us are saying we should be called the bride. Some of us say we should be called the, the city on a hill or the city of light or kingdom culture. 
But, you know, aside from that, why don't you come and check us out? Well, what do you do? Well, we do a lot. <laughs> you know, we take care of widows. Uh, we feed the poor. Uh, we pray for healing. We meet together on the temple steps. We hang out in homes. We do really four things. Uh, we commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All right, are you looking for new members? Well, maybe if you're willing to proskartereo. You've got to be willing to proskartereo to be a member of the early church. Okay, so um, can I show up anytime? Absolutely. We'll see you on Solomon's uh, courtyard steps, and uh, we'll try to get you into a community when you're ready. And that's the kind of thing that happened back then. People were excited about this new movement. And, and they committed themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. That this would be the original 12 that Jesus called and handpicked to be with him as his representatives. Well, the original 12, less Judas, upgraded with Matthias, right? Because Judas killed himself and uh, betrayed the Lord, and uh, they replaced him with Matthias. But here was the group of the original eyewitnesses of Jesus and his resurrection. They are doing the teaching. Question for you, what are they teaching from? If you say Bible, it's pretty close. It's it, the Old Testament, right? They were preaching from the Old Testament. No doubt the apostles were spending all their time, you know, searching the scriptures in the law and the prophets and the Psalms and the wisdom literature and the narrative books, looking for all those examples in which Jesus the Messiah was prefigured. And they would unpack that and say, see, it's been fulfilled. It would have been great teaching to take in. It would have been electrifying because it wasn't just coming from head knowledge, it was coming from life-on-life -life experience with Jesus. You know what I mean? These 12 spent three and a half years with Jesus, and they knew that he was the Messiah. And so the people there in the early church were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles themselves were devoted to doing the teaching. It tells us in Acts 6 that the church was growing, and there were some needs in the church, some widows were being neglected. The apostles said, you know what, we're not going to do that ourselves we're going to entrust that to some of you guys to take care of that need. We will proskartarao ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Same word. We will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. By the way, there are still apostles today, and I won't go into that in this message. It's just to mention it, and so that you realize that the New Testament teaches us that there's an ongoing ministry after the original 12, that there's an ongoing further ministry of the apostles. You can check that out in the book of Ephesians. And uh, the fellowship was another thing that they were committed to. Any Lord of the Rings people here? The fellowship, right? You're like, you say that word, it just brings up certain feelings and memories. Oh, I'm committed to the fellowship. They were committed to the fellowship. In other words, the broader gathering of the whole church family. All 3,000 of them meeting outside of Solomon's temple. They would have had corporate gatherings there. Can you imagine the host trying to take an offering on the steps? They're like, where's the bags gone? Like, who's in charge here? Uh, Peter's talking. Now John's talking. Uh, parents are wondering, is there any kids programming yet? It's like day three. You know, and all this stuff was just happening in this busy little area of the church. And uh, I think if you were walking around back then, you might meet someone in the fellowship and you'd say, hey, are you one of the original 120? Are you one of the 3,000? Or are you one of those that the Lord added daily to the church? I just want to know. Oh, you're one of the added daily people? Awesome. High five. Glad that you're here. Isn't it incredible what God's doing right here in our city? 
they were devoted to being there. And then it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, this is not a reference to communion. Some people think, oh, there we go. We have communion happening. No, that's later. But it was a foretaste of it. And really what it was was these people were all Jewish, so they were doing what Jewish people do when they get in their homes. They break bread in the name of Yahweh, the Lord. You know, we honor him, we honor you, have some bread, and they start their meal. And it was a moment to say to themselves, isn't it amazing what God is doing in our lives? Isn't it amazing what he's doing in our city? Isn't it amazing what he is yet to do? Let's break bread in the name of Yahweh, the Lord, and let's have this, this moment together. Very, very powerful. So I'm just a really tangible person. I look at that, and it tells me they were devoted to eating. Seriously. They were devoted to eating. I think any church that's going to be a great church has to have a dynamic food ministry. We need it, don't we? Right? We need it. We need a dynamic food ministry. Why? Because it's part of the way we connect together. We are drawn together by meals and refreshment, and we break bread in the name of the Lord, and we, we love on each other. I, just, I look forward to that increasing and expanding here. Our facility is, is limited, but we, we, you know, we pull off heroic things with the facility that we have. We really do, and we have great people who do that. Well, they were devoted to that, and then it says they were devoted to Prayer, literally the prayers. In other words, set times of prayer when everybody showed up and prayed. And we'll cover that a little bit later on in the message. Um, but I just want to highlight it for us because we've got to, we've got to make the, the point here that the church that Jesus is building is devoted to prayer. It's absolutely devoted to prayer. It knows it goes nowhere without prayer. It can't accomplish anything without prayer. And, and so the people back then... Uh, set that pattern for us to follow in. They were committed to times of prayer, and they got together, and they interceded for their city and their nation and the world. And guess what? We're here because of that. We're standing on their shoulders. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, pros kartereo, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It was an amazing culture of commitment. Remember this, you only get from community what you put into community. These people were putting in a lot, and so they received much. Let me go back in time to 1990 when my wife Marianne and I showed up in this city being interviewed by the elders of this church. I remember sitting on the steps outside of John and Linda Lundin's house, and we came to the end of a weekend of interviews and them looking at us and us looking at them, trying to make a decision if God was calling us to this city. And we had prayed about other things. There was a church in Ontario that wanted us to come. It was a large church. There were high-level leaders there that they would have mentored us and taken us under their wing. Uh, we had a church planting opportunity to go into, and we had prayed about whether we were supposed to be missionaries to Russia. We, we felt something there. We felt some kind of connection to Russia. And, and we thought, oh, if not Russia, maybe Quebec. Because, oh my goodness, Quebec is one of the least-reached people groups in the whole world. And we're like, how can we stay in Western Canada when there's such a great need in Quebec? We prayed about that stuff, and we ended up on the steps of an elder of the Airdrie Alliance Church here in Airdrie, this little hamlet. You know what we had going for us back then? We had Dairy Queen. We had one street light and one grocery store. Pretty good, eh? 
And I'm sitting on those steps going, God, are you really going to call us to Airdrie? I mean, there's a lot of other places in the world that I'm interested in. And God just pounded on our hearts and made it very clear to us and to the elders, this is where you belong. And we knew at that moment we would have to dig in. We knew it would be a hard work for a long, long, long time. And so we just went, prosker tereo, right? Yes. We step into the will of God, and we say, I'm not going to move from this unless God moves me. I'm just going to stay attached to it. Uh, open ears, open hands all the time. Lord, anything I'm missing? No? Okay, keep at it. And here we are today. I'm asking you if you will be devoted to the thing God is doing now. We're headed into new levels of impact. We're headed into new opportunities here in our city and in our world. Are you going to be part of that? Are you going to commit to that? Are you going to pray for those things? Are you going to long for those things? Are you going to arrange your life so you can be connected to those things? Proskar Tereo. No turning back. It's going to take that if we're going to be a culture that is like a kingdom community. Here's the second look at culture that we see in this passage. It was a culture of expectancy. They just knew and believed and anticipated that God would do amazing miraculous, supernatural things in the church. And he did. Look at verse 43. It says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Wonders and signs. Other parts of the the scripture say signs and wonders. And there were all kinds of things going on. If you just look at the passage ahead in Acts 3, you get the story of the guy that's healed outside of the temple as Peter and John walked by. Um, all over the book of Acts, you have these indicators of, of God showing up in manifest power and changing people's lives. I think the early church back then just saw it as a daily occurrence. People had breakthroughs. They had answers to prayer. Relatives were getting saved by the boatload. And the people were being set free from enemy strongholds. And then many people were healed. Just regular stuff. And I, I think about that, and I, I say to myself, where is my expectancy level for this church? Is, you know, is my expectancy level, I'm okay with a miracle every 10 years? I go, no. Am I okay with a miracle every five years? No. Am I okay with a miracle every year? No. There's got to be something more than that. There's got to be a demonstration of God's presence and power as his word is proclaimed. I believe he wants to do amazing things this morning, today, right now. And we've gathered in his name to expect that. We often hear on the staff end of the miracles that happen, and we can't even tell you all of them because we would stop preaching and we would just tell you miracle stories. Maybe we should do that some Sunday. But I want to share with you one today that happened about six months ago. We just heard about it about six weeks ago, but it really happened halfway through 2017. And it's a, a testimony from Dennis Duick, who's sitting right there. And we've checked with him, gotten permission to share this. And it's a story of a miracle that happened in a a friend of his life. And what happened was, back in the middle of 2017, Dennis's friend, whose name is Peter, uh, was living with Dennis's parents in Belize. Okay, so Dennis lives here. Peter lives in Belize with the parents of Dennis. And I hope I'm getting it right here. Uh, Peter goes out swimming on a Saturday with some friends. And uh, he disappears under the water. And the, the friends are in panic mode. And they haven't seen him for a while. And some guy on the, on the side there yells at them, said, hey, have you, 
have you gone after him or whatever? He swims out. Somehow they find Peter's body under the water. He had been under the water for eight minutes. They pull him out, get him to the shore. They call in the EMS people, and they're given instructions to do, you know, the revival technique, right, and to, to get him breathing again. And he had a pulse, um, but not much response. So they kept working on him, took him to the hospital. He went into a coma. Well, Dennis finds out about this, and Dennis is part of our church, and on Sunday, uh, I, I suppose the texts were going around to family members in different parts of the world. Dennis goes to the men's group here in our church on Monday, and he asks the men to pray for Peter, who's in a coma. And so the men of this church, men's group, they meet downstairs, they prayed that God would touch Peter's life and restore him. Tuesday morning, Peter wakes up in Belize in the hospital. Let's take a, take a picture of him here. Take a look at him. There he is. Out of the coma, restored to the health that he had before the whole incident. And then he, after that, the guy goes off and gets married. Yeah. <laughs> is that a yay God moment or not, right? So, could it be possible that some men in the basement of this church are praying for a miracle and it happens on another side of the world? Absolutely. There were other churches praying too and other Christians. But I have a feeling that our, our guys, they just dialed in. They're like, yeah, we're going to ask God to raise them up. Very, very awesome. Very, very awesome. You know, when signs and wonders started happening here four and a half years ago, none of us were used to that. I don't think we are used to it yet. It still stuns me. And, uh, you know, we had waited for this for a long time, and it started happening. We're like, God, what are you doing? And how are you doing it? And why are you doing it? And we're trying to look in the scriptures and try to figure all this out. And it's still happening. God is still touching people in miraculous ways. And I would say this, that the biggest miracle is conversion, coming to Christ, entering into the kingdom, being raised from death to life in Jesus' name. That's happening almost every week here. A couple of weeks ago, two of our kids in Kids Men received Jesus, made a solid decision for that. Three weeks ago, a woman gave her heart to Christ right here. And we hear about that almost every Every single week now. We're praying for Easter Sunday to be special for many people to enter into the kingdom. This last week, we had a team of people go from our church to the hospital in Calgary to pray over one of our young moms who's facing a really horrific surgery. And they went there and prayed to, for her and ministered to her, had a sense of God's presence upon her. And on their way out in the hotel lobby, one of the team members, Greg Wimmer, sees a young man sitting over here on a bench. And Greg, being Greg, is like, he just leaves the group, right? And he just goes over and says, hey, talks to the guy and, and gets to know him. And in 10 minutes, leads the guy to Jesus. And then prays for his foot to be healed. He had, a, he had a sore foot. Guy opened up to him and said his mom was praying that something would happen for him today. Wow. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about. And there were moments in the early church when there was awe and wonder over, Wow. God, you're doing such amazing, incredible things. So I'm asking you, as I'm asking myself, can we raise our expectancy a little higher? Can we take it a little further? How far can we take it? How much love does God have for this world? He has a lot of love for this world. And his love is deep and wide and high and long, and we can't even, we can't even fathom the depths of it. Thirdly, we're called into a culture of deep relationships. That's also prevalent here. If you look at Acts 2, verse 44, it says all the believers were together 
Can I say that again? All 3,000 believers were together. They didn't even have a building and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Basically, there was two ways that they expressed their relationships. There was this public gathering, the corporate gathering, and then they also got together in these little communities. They broke bread in their homes, and homes weren't very big back then. They might have got, you know, five people, seven people, three people, I don't know. But they got together in small communities, and they also got together in bigger corporate gatherings. And that was how they got the rhythm going for that early church. Now, a question for you, do you think that was easy for them? Because sometimes, you know, we read the Bible and we go, oh, back then it would have been so easy, you know. Everybody was just focused on that and there was nothing else going on. There's no distractions. I don't think so. I think there was all kinds of distractions. And I think that they had to proskartoreo to have fellowship together. I think there were all kinds of ways in which they could be, you know, turned off course and, and given another focus, and they went, no, no, no. We will commit ourselves to the fellowship, and we will commit ourselves to communities. We're going to be in smaller arrangements of people so that we can have face-to-face, heart-to-heart, life-on-life fellowship with one another. That's really essential. I think they had all kinds of challenges to get it done. I mean, they came from different backgrounds. Did you notice that in in Acts 2, they came from all over the Roman Empire. I mean, these were people that were in Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. Some were from Rome, some were from Egypt, some were from Asia Minor, and they all came as Jews to celebrate the Passover. They end up getting converted and saved, and then they stay. (laughs) Many of them sold their possessions and lands back home so that they could absolutely form a new place to live there in the city of Jerusalem. They would have had different accents, maybe different skin colors, different clothing, different food styles, but that did not keep them from deep community. If there's one thing on my heart, I pray and long for this, that our community becomes a mosaic of people from every tribe and nation, multinational, multi-ethnic, from different cultures and backgrounds. Why? Because I think that reflects God's ultimate heart, that there's a sweet fellowship when the church is diverse in its cultural moorings and its, and its connections with each other. We long for that. And this early church, they did it. They absolutely did it. They went deep with each other, and they really, really cared for each other. They had to give up excuses for being rootless and having moved, and uh, they had to think like, okay, I, I can't just think about myself and what I need. I've got to give you know, energy and time to these people that I'm now with in this, in this new movement of Jesus. And I think they even understood how to do family life. I think there's something that we've uh, we got to take to heart here for a moment. I'm just going to share it with you. I think sometimes we overdo family. Sometimes we underdo it. But sometimes we overdo family. And it goes like this. A couple might say, you know, our kids are really young. And until they're raised, we're going to make them the center of our focus. That's a bad decision. God should be the center of your focus. God must be the center of our family. And then we take care of each other, and we love our kids, and we, we raise them well and all of that. But we've got to remember what the Bible says. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord is building your family, it's not going to hold together. And, and so as we're doing family, we must see family through the perspective of the kingdom of God. God wants us to be connected to our own children and, and, and siblings and all that, of course, but he's got a bigger family, and we're part of that too. And a kingdom view of family will connect us to people in the church, people who love Jesus. Back then, the early group of believers, they were devoted to that. You didn't hear from them, well, I don't have time for this, or I work too much, or um, I, I, don't, I, I don't really have an interest in this. They devoted themselves to it. Remember this, you only get from community what you put into community. Okay, so for a moment here, I want to get tangible, and we said this series was going to be like that. I want to share with you um, a way of looking at um, how you can enter into community uh, in this church or any church, okay? It's a little bit of a diagram here. We're going to bring it up. And uh, I want you to look at it and see if you can kind of find yourself where you are. There's five different levels of community. There's the curious, there's the crowd, there's the covenant, there's the called, and then there's the core. And all of those are different kind of levels of relational connection. For instance, when you're in the curious part of the church's life, you're just checking it out. You're like, I don't really know what I think about this place. I'm coming here to find out. That's awesome. All that we say to you is, welcome. We're glad you're here. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to commit to anything. Just check it out. It's okay. But we all had to check it out at one time, too. We understand that. And, uh, you know, after a few months goes by, you might want to think about that. If you're here three or four months and you're still being curious, you might want to ask yourself, why are you still curious? Do you need to find out something? Well, we want you to find out stuff, and so we offer this thing called AAC Life to you once a month. It's happening next Sunday at 11 a.m. We share our vision, our values, our structure, our staff roles. We share how we're governed through elders. We share all of that with you, explain the whole thing, so that you have a sense of, okay, that's how this church functions. You could explore that. And then after the curious level, there's the crowd level. You could also call this the congregational level. This is when you start to sense, I'm plugged in. I'm plugged in. I'm going to attend here. I like it. I don't really know everything going on around here, but I like it enough to be here, and so I'm going to settle in here. And maybe you begin to serve. Maybe you begin to be involved. And by the way, that's a great way to connect to this church. Just start serving. You don't have to be a member here to serve. Some things require that, but most don't. You, you can just start serving. And another way is by joining a community, which, as you heard from Pastor Nick, we are launching, and we're putting enormous energy and vision into, we're launching communities uh, in the near future, so this Wednesday night and this coming Saturday, come to the party. Come to one of them. Come and check it out. Because if you're in the crowd, we want you to feel like you actually do belong here. And then you can participate in the other things in the life of the church. Here's the next level. It's the covenant level. This is the level when you say, these are my people. You look around, you go, I like them. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to really stay. I, I'm going to become a member here. And, and you enter into a covenant relationship with this body of believers. And in that covenant, we explain things like, we're asking you. It's not for everybody. You know, you're going to commit to being here and praying for this church and tithing and serving and, and loving and, and reaching out and all that. Yeah. And we have people that enter into that 
that covenant relationship through membership. And, you know, it, it, I know how it goes. It happens. We're here for a while. We're, we've gone from curious to crowd, and we're like, I'm feeling really settled here. But it's kind of like you're dating. You've been dating the church for a long time, a long time, you know? And after a while, you know, I just want to say to you, put the ring on. Come on. Put the ring on. Call this home. Say, I'm really here, right? You don't have to promise you'll be here for 50 years. Just, just settle in, right? You embrace the covenant because we're a covenant-keeping people. And then, uh, as well, we invite you to, to go to the next level. It's what we call the call. That's you know, the name we came up with. You could describe it with other words. But it's the idea that you're super committed, fully behind what God is doing here, but you have time limitations, you're running a business, you're giving it all you can here, but you've got other commitments, you travel a lot. We get that. We understand that. But that doesn't mean you're not committed. We get it. And so we see called people here. They're already in covenant with us, but they can only give us this much of their energy and time. We get it, and we affirm them. And we say to those people, you embody the values of our church in your work, in your marketplace ministry, in the things that God has called you to do. And we celebrate that. And uh, then the, there's the other level, it's the core. What can we say about them? They are the red-hot lava people. I mean, they're just burning with that passion, just burning with it. Oh, God, what can I do? I'm throwing myself into this movement. Not all of them are paid. Not all of them are on staff. In fact, many of these people in the core, in our core, they're like unpaid staff members. We have people here that put in 20 hours a week in volunteer roles. Often, many of them are in leadership. And guess what? We give them huge responsibilities. You know why? Because we know them. And we know that they can handle it. They can take it. They'll do it. They're going to make it better. And we celebrate that. Those are the kind of people that we commission out of here. Those are the kind of people that we lay hands on and we send out of here as God calls them out. And our future is shaped by our core. Remember this. You only get from community what you put into community. So I'm just asking you, think about that. Where are you at in relationship to our church? Are you kind of new here? Are you kind of settled and ready to take another step? Is God whispering to you, perhaps, in this series? I invite you to take that step. And I, you know, I just marvel at how many things are happening in our church, how many ways that people are getting connected. It's, it's actually quite stunning to me. I made a list the other day. I thought, wow, there's so many ways for people to connect here. Um, we had a woman's connect night here last week, I think it was. 70 women came out, watched a movie, hung out together. We have a mom's connect night, or mom's connect morning on Thursdays here in our building. Moms get together with kids, and they, they just be together. They're just connecting together. Our young adults get together pretty much every Sunday night. Last I heard, they had a waffle bar. I'm like, I wanted to go to the waffle bar. And if you're a young adult and you haven't connected with our young adult ministry you're missing out on something. There's a good thing going on here. Uh, and then there's, you know, kids' ministries. Kids are connecting with kids in small groups. Our youth, I heard from Luke Toner, there was like 93 youth here on Tuesday, not counting workers. 93, yeah. Woo. Men are meeting in groups. I've heard of guys going ice fishing. Our worship volunteers, get this, they just went axe throwing. Whoa. Okay, so when you're up here, you got to go throw axes like after that one? Just kidding. It's a great way to have fun. And they had a bonding time that was amazing. 
They went axe throwing right here in our city. He's had a great time celebrating that. It's just incredible. Community is happening in lots of ways. And we're inviting you in further. Our database tells us that there are 1,528 people in this church. About half of them or less are here on a Sunday morning. So we're trying to minister to all these people. And if we don't get community right, we're not going to be able to touch many lives. This is mission critical stuff. Mission critical. But someone might say, I I don't feel very connected here. Really? Do we want to go to the skate party? (laughs) You know, um, do you want to come out to extended worship night? Do you want to, you know, do you want to come to this event or that event? No, I, but, but I don't feel connected. I, how about try? You know, just, just, just try. That'd be good. And I want to say this to you because I know there's some people that are lonely in the church, and I get that. You're lonely, and you've had bad experiences in other places. You haven't found a, a friend here yet. We want you to have a friend here. We want you to have many friends here. And so we're bending ourselves over backwards to help you feel connected here as much as we possibly can. I want to say this to you. Don't get ripped off by our rootless culture that says you can go it alone. That's a lie. We can't go it alone. We were never designed to go it alone. Besides, you know, what is life like if you don't have friends? Who's going to pick you up when you need it most? It's going to be a brother or a sister in the kingdom or in your family. They're going to do that for you. And sometimes people say, you know, I can't, I'm busy. We're busy as snakes. You ever heard that phrase? I'm like busy as a snake. Really? That's icky. (laughs) You know what the Bible says about snakes? Why would you want to be busy like a snake? We've got to invest time into these things. They really, really do matter. I don't know if you know this, but um, when, when Rome was colonizing the world, they sent out some people to colonize Britain. You know that, right? The Romans arrived in Britain, and they sent out some ships to, to get to the, to the coastal area of Britain and to land there, and you know, several ships came, and, and they parked in the harbor, and they unloaded all their supplies and the things that they would need to set up a colony in Britain, and uh, the leader of that expedition is called an apostle, and it kind of means that you're, you're leading a, a group of people to create a new culture. You're taking the culture of Rome to the culture of Britain. You're colonizing it. And what the apostle did is once the ship was unloaded and everybody got all their stuff on the, Rome, on, the, uh, on the British shoreline, then he gave the command, burn the ships. We're never going back. Imagine standing on the shoreline and seeing your boat go down in the water. You know, wow, this is real. And then you start turning to each other and go, I guess it's us. That's what we're trying to convey here. It's really us. Burn the ships. Burn those ships in your mind that says, well, it's better over there. Well, it might be. Then go there. But burn them if you need to. Burn them. And land where you're supposed to land. Because you are needed. You are vital. If you've been placed here by Jesus, we are not complete until you're fully connected. We can't do it without you. And we agonize as we feel the, the bumps and the, and the holes that are not filled. We go, oh, God, continue to work in our midst. The big secret is community starts with me. It starts with me. It's not always I wait to be pulled in. It's got to start with me going, yeah, I'll take that step. I'll own this. I'll take a risk in faith. I've had a bad experience before. I'm not going to let that stop me from a brand new encounter with great people. And then there's a culture of presence. The presence of God was all over this young 
church, right? They got together. They prayed. And then it says they were praising God, worshiping God. In fact, I think worship really was, was what held them tightly together amidst all the persecution that they would eventually feel. Praise was part of their gatherings. The presence of God was something that they sensed when they met together. I picture their extended worship nights were packed out. They saved energy for that. Praise was the doorway for them into kingdom culture. And then prayer took it to a whole other level. Praise and prayer. Wow. And I've got a saying here. I'm just rolling it off the press today. I've been working on it for a year. Because, you know, we are committed to this stuff. It takes me a while sometimes. I'm a slow learner. I got this saying, though, that expresses the heart we have for renewal. Can I share it with you? Here it is. We embrace a culture of continuous, increasing renewal where revival never ends. We are not interested in a temporary revival. We are not interested in a few months of ecstasy in the presence of Jesus alone. We are not interested in being a footnote in someone's history book saying, yeah, there once was a church in Airdrie that got started in renewal, but then they leveled off. We're not interested in that. No, no, no. We are buckled in for the long haul, full scale, continuous, ever increasing, outpouring, and sustaining of the movement of Jesus that will catapult us out of these walls to change the world. That's what we're committed to. To release the kingdom of heaven on earth. There's nothing else worth living for as far as I'm concerned. And just like that early community in the book of Acts, we will be all about proskartereo. We will be devoted to these things. We will be a culture in which the presence of God is normal around us through prayer and praise. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. I also want to mention... There's one other thing here, and that is we want to be a culture of impact. If you trace what happened in that early church from Acts 2 onward, you'll see that they did go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That their focus was not just their own city. That it was bigger than that. And it took them some time. It took them a while to figure that out and to send their best and to, and to stretch out into other cities and communities. It took them a while, but they got there. And so I'm calling us today to that kind of culture, a culture of impact, a culture where we say we're not just concerned about what's God, what God's doing right here, but it must go beyond us. Let's stand together. Wow. So friends, as we close this series today, I want to invite you to take a step into the movement of God happening right now. It's happening. And there's a spot for every one of us. For some of us, it might mean we have to commit to a smaller community so we have some friends in this place. For some of us, it might mean we've got to serve for some of us, it might mean we've got to pray more. For some of us, it might mean that we, we need to be sent out from here one day as our IWs, our international workers. For some of us, it means dialing it up in the area of commitment all the way through. And I'm just inviting you to respond to the Lord and what He wants you to do today. I want you to respond to Him. 
with a whole heart. So we're going to pray. Let's just bow our hearts right now. Lord, nothing less than this. Continuous, increasing renewal where revival never ends. Where we impact the nations of the world. Nothing less than that. I pray, God, for a release of passion and gifting and commitment and joy in this place. I pray, God, for new beginnings for some of us. I pray for new attachments to this church from people that have been part of it for 10 or 15 years. God, I pray for that fresh start for that person who's come through a divorce or someone who just feels like they don't have the energy. God, I pray that you would pour strength into our lives. We would say, yes, we're not going to miss out. We're going to be committed, devoted to what you're doing right here, right now. Friend, if you have sensed that God is calling you to make a commitment, just say yes to him right now. Say yes to him right now. Put up your hand as a gesture. Say, yep, that's me. I'm committing. Committing to the steps that God is showing me to take right now. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, for the sake of the world and for the sake of your great name, I pray that you light us on fire and that we burn with passion for you. Oh, Jesus, all for your glory and your honor. Now, Lord, go with us into the real world where we represent you and we bring hope and healing to those who need it. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Everyone said, yeah, good day.